0: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. It's December 23rd, so for Seinfeld fans, it's happy Festivus for the rest of us! I spoke with Jerry Seinfeld when he came to the Kennedy Center in 2017 for a night of laughter and song to promote transcendental meditation, also known as TM. Listen closely, you'll hear him interrupted by pop star Kesha in a red carpet moment that went so viral that it inspired a mural in Melbourne, Australia.
1: You know the analogy that I use that people seem to understand is TM is like, imagine you have a phone and then someone gives you a charger. And that's, a TM is a charger, like anytime you want to charge up your phone you just plug it in because it's hard to just sleep when you're tired because people are tired most of the time. I, I love you so much. Oh, thanks. Take a hug? No, thanks. Please? No, thanks. A little bit. Yeah, no thanks. i <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> That was a nice moment. I don't know who that was. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was Kesha. Okay. Well, I wish you the best.
0: <laughs> you can look it up, <laughs> Anyway, that's I'll, it. Mr. Seinfeld. Hi, meeting. how are nice you? Nice to meet how you. you doing? So, you've been doing uh, TM for, I think you said, like 40-some years? You would even do it lun- lunch breaks during- five years. Was oh, it lunch breaks during Seinfeld? Yes. Yes, time? that's right. Wow. How much did that sort of benefit you during the show to clear your mind? And are the results similar to Serenity now, or is it a little better? It's better than serenity now. It's similar though,
1: it's similar. Because you want serenity now. And you can do TM anytime you want. You just sit down, you close your eyes, and you find some serenity and there's no effort.
0: If you are here tonight Jerry Seinfeld, what is Bizarro Jerry doing tonight? Mm, uh
1: I guess he would be not here because he's always doing the opposite of what Jerry does.
0: <laughs> exactly. And I mean just the legacy of the show, what do we have to do to get you a Mark Twain prize here, man? I mean, you should have already got it. What? I don't know what I have to achieve in comedy to get
1: that prize. Maybe you could talk to them. I'm not that big on awards and stuff like that. I just feel like uh <laughs> uh, audience is laughing, that's that's my favorite award. So if
0: you had a choice between giving up the voice or giving up the award, oh, you'd probably go, hello, and give up the award. That's right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you. thank, thank you. you. I spoke with Jerry again in 2018 at the Kennedy Center's Mark Twain Prize for American Humor. Hello, hello. hello. la la la. Oh, hey, knows, never heard name. that before. Never. Um, I want to know about the big get out shove. Are your shoulders yeah, yeah. still
1: a little bruised? Yeah, yeah, those were great. I don't know how that's so. Funny. <laughs> but it was so funny, the way she would do it. I think she just did it one time, and we and we just thought it was so funny. And I'm not even sure how many we did. We did a lot of them. I would love that when she would push me and I would disappear out of frame. So good, so funny. They all went to I don't think jail, they were bad yeah. morally. I think we're all somewhat selfish in life. Yeah. That's that's part of what we like about the comedy is we relate to that little selfish streak that we
0: all have. Yeah. Well, in the contest episode, you remember that it was John F. Kennedy Jr. and now we're at the Kennedy Center here coming full circle. So which contest is harder to win? That one or the Mark Twain prize? (laughs) The Mark Twain prize is harder. Well, you elaborate. Gotta, you
1: have to have a career of success to get this prize. Yeah, and
0: yeah. you were talking about the dance earlier. What, does yeah. it start in the thumbs and sort of emanate
2: down yeah, the body? Yeah,
0: yeah, so The first thing she did was that exact dance. And who came up with Sweet
1: Fancy Moses, full body, dry, heaps, set to music? I think it was Sweet Fancy Moses was Jeff Schaefer, and full body, dry, Heap set to music was mine. Awesome. We, it's, uh, you know. Magic. Magic happens and it doesn't happen. The trick is to know it when you see it. You can't make it, but when you see it, you got to go, that's it, that's it, stop there. You know, really great comedic performers love the mechanics of it. They really, they want to get into, well, how does this bit work? Is it better if I turn like that? Is it funnier like that? Should I use this hand? You know, everything has to kind of be figured out. Uh, I feel that way about all the cast members. We're all like... uh, We were in love with each other, the four of us, honestly. Absolutely head over heels in love with each other. We each thought the other three was fantastic. And that's a really nice way to work. And that's another reason I ended the show when I did. I never wanted to have anything else happen. So, you know, we have had this amazing nine years together. It's like a party. I don't like to be the last one to leave the party. You know, I like to. Okay, we had a good time. Let's, let's, not, let's not twist the sponge too hard. Yeah. Have a good night.
0: Thank you. I also spoke with Steve Heitner, who played Jerry's frenemy, Kenny Banya, to mark the
2: 20th anniversary of Seinfeld's finale.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Steve.
2: I'm good. How are you doing, Jason?
0: I am good. Where are we talking to you at? Where, where are you these days?
2: Uh, I am actually up in uh, the Reno Tahoe area.
0: Oh, ah, okay. Ooh. Yeah.
2: Beautiful up here.
0: Say hi, to, uh, yeah, a, say hi to Fredo to hi I got a little me. boy.
2: <laughs> say hi to who? Fredo.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, I'm sure. If I see him, I'll, first thing I'll do.
0: <laughs> what did you say? You got a little boy?
2: I got a little boy, and we're uh, raising him up here. So uh, I uh, I did 25 years in L.A. That's a full serving.
0: Yeah, I don't think you need to. Well, it depends if it's is, is a full serving. Is that a meal or, or not? I don't know. We're still debating it.
2: <laughs> but, <laughs> depends if it's crackers.
0: Yeah, absolutely, oh, exactly. It depends if there's crackers. Um, we can get more into that later. But I want I want to explain to our listeners the reason we we decided to set this up was because Monday marks hard to believe the twentieth anniversary of the Seinfeld finale. Um, it was in May fourteenth, nineteen ninety eight. Hard to believe it's been twenty years. Um, do you? Uh, I remember at the time some people loved the episode, some people didn't. I, I thought it was pretty a genius way you know the trial to bring back all the characters. Um, but do you think the show got out? Um, got out at the right time. I mean, 9 years. Uh, I think the Beatles went 9. I think Jerry once said something about going <laughs> something about going into the double digits just felt like too long. So he said 9 was was perfect. I mean, what do you think? I think you guys were at the, the peak of the show when you know, you got out ahead while we still missed you.
2: Yeah, I think it was Jerry, you know, Jerry always said the show treated him so well that he wanted to treat the show well. And that he wanted, you know, he wanted it to go out on top. And I feel like it did, you know. And uh, the final show which I like uh, you know, some people that had some backlash to it. It was really basically more of a reunion show than anything else. Yeah, and I kind of like that aspect of it.
0: Yeah, and you came back, right? You come back to testify against them, and yeah. you're, you're sitting in the yeah, <laughs> I, in the,
2: yeah, yeah. I was out in the courtroom and stuff, and it was just a, it was an unbelievable experience. Uh, I mean, there were. When we shot that show, that final episode, there were helicopters hovering above, just trying to get any kind of idea of what the episode was going to be about. But, uh, you know, often the the final, even not only in the final finale, but each season, the final episode always got a lot of scrutiny. But I don't think those of, that's what Seinfeld, the show, did best. You know, they did shows about small, little things better, you know? So whenever there was like a, a concept show, I don't know if that was necessarily the strength of Seinfeld. I always argued that the final episode could have been them going out to the movies and Jerry can't find his keys and they can't leave. And, you know, it's just some small idea like that is Kind of what the genius of Seinfeld was,
0: right? Well, I thought it—I thought it was a genius uh, when, like you said, a reunion show to get them all testify and make us all be like, "Huh, yeah, you're right. These four—they—they were—they were pretty bad people. They should be in jail. They were horrible,
2: yeah. hard- <laughs> absolutely and, horrible people.
0: Yeah, and didn't it, I think it ended with the same line that started the show? Right? George or Jerry talking about George's button placement on his shirt. So I thought that was pretty genius.
2: Yeah, uh- I actually agree. I thought the whole thing was was really smart and clever. I don't think there was going to be any sort of episode that people were going to adore.
0: Right, because everyone had already you know, written. Everyone had written in their own minds. Oh, this is how I want to see it end. And so, you know, whatever you guys put out there, you know. It, but I think I think time has been kind to it. I think it's a pretty good way to wrap it up. And I th- honestly, I think the best part was all sort of the the clip montages and stuff that went along with it. I think it was the first time we ever heard that Green Day song, "Time of Your Life." Like it was a cultural moment.
2: You know, that's so funny you mentioned that because that Green Day song was brand new. It wasn't even a hit yet. You made and, it a hit. <laughs> uh, and
0: Seinfeld,
2: yeah, and, well, it was a great song, you know. But Seinfeld put that in there and. I remember the night of the final taping before it, you know, a month or so or two months before it aired, you know, there was obviously a huge party and they put a montage together for all of us that we were all watching and they put that song underneath it. And I remember all of us going, what is that song? That song's awesome.
0: It was a tearjerker because you see the empty apartments and everything, you know, Jerry, Jerry's apartment. Uh, that one, yeah, that'll make you tear up if you were a fan of the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right, well, let's go into some of your your personal memories. We've talked the finale a while here, but um, just talk about Kenny Banya. I mean, we've all had friends like that that you know either they can't take a hint, they sort of overrate the friendship, or they or the or, or in your case, they mooch off of the jokes as sort of a hack with Jerry. But uh, is that how you approached it? Did you have any? Did you have a Kenny Banya in your own life?
2: Well, you know the way it happened was when I auditioned for the role. Um, all that said was the most annoying guy in the world. <laughs> so when you go into these auditions and you're waiting to go in, you can hear the other people auditioning. The walls are pretty thin. So if the character is raising their voice at all, you can hear them. Right. And I was kind of hearing people audition, not trying to, but you can't help it. And like they were just very negative. So really on the last second on a dime I decided, what if he's what if he just wants this the meal and all this stuff? because he's desperate to be Jerry's friend mm-hmm. and he just adores Jerry. Now, now you think, well, yeah, that's the character, but that really wasn't the character initially. And then I, everybody was going in going, Hey, you owe me, you owe me. And then I decided to decided to go in and go, I adore you. And let's hang out even more. And then Larry and Jerry were in the room and they just fell out when I just made it this upbeat guy who adored Jerry. And then from then on in, you know, great writers pick up on that and they go, Oh, this is the guy. And so then it just turned into a whole other thing. So between my interpretation of it and them, them starting to write it that way, that's how the character took off. That's great.
0: Now, do you, um, I mean, it's, I bet you, do you still get people coming up doing the whole, like, why do they call it Oval Team? The mugs, round the jars, round the Chicago Round Team. That's gold, Jerry. Like, do you, I guarantee you still get that wherever you go.
2: Only if I go out of the house. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just something that is, you know, I. that's why I just, you know, I choose to embrace it because there's no option. I mean, it's going to happen anyway. Someone's going to, Someone's gonna scream. Did you ever get your suit back? Someone's gonna scream. Soup's not a meal. Gold Jerry Gold. I mean, the character had so many catchphrases; it was crazy.
0: Hey, you're a part of TV history. I would, I would totally run with that. Are you kidding me? Uh, do you remember? Do you remember first reading that? I mean, it's probably hard to even remember now. Do you remember flipping through that script and seeing that line? That's Gold Jerry. How did you? Do you remember that moment and how you deciding how you're gonna deliver it there? Because the delivery is what makes that line.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting because early, they uh, the character Banya always had these catchphrases. And the beginning of Banya, which was four years earlier, it was the best, Jerry, the best. Everything was that. Right, right. You know, and I would repeat things like that. Now, the, that gold was actually, I think, my last episode before the finale. Um, that was like four years later. Wow. And actually, we had gotten off the that, that the, the best, Jerry, the best. But when we did that episode the line was actually uh, that's gold Jerry and then I said, well let's go back to the best thing I said let's make it that's gold uh, that's gold Jerry gold let's tag it like we used to do with the best And Jerry goes, oh yeah absolutely
0: So, so it was uh, your uh, it, in the script it was just that's gold Jerry and it was your idea to tag it with the second gold.
2: I, I decided I said let's tag it with the second gold like we always used to do the best Jerry the best you know because we that was a cadence that kind of ban you yeah. had. So I So then it was four. You know, you don't realize four years have gone by yeah. since that first uh, introduction of Banya, and then it just seemed to me as like, well, let's tag it with gold. Let's see how it sounds with that gold, Jerry Gold, and uh, and then once I did it, the crew just fell apart. And you know, you know how it is. If you're making the crew laugh, everything's good.
0: I love that insight. That's great. I never knew that. Um, and then what was the, the restaurant? Was it was Mendy's, right? Did you after after all these years have have you decided that if is Super Meal?
2: You know what see? Things went south. You know, when we did the final episode, we were getting all kinds of offers of where we were going to watch the final episode. Mm. And so I got a really great offer, you know, first class travel to New York, do a small show. They're going to pay me a lot of money. And then I'd watch the show there. And Mendy's called my agent and they said, we'd like Steve to come watch the final episode here. So my (laughs) agent's like, well, all right, well, this is what's on the table. And then then he goes, what are you offering? They go, we'd like to offer him dinner. (laughs) (laughs) So my agent's like, like, I don't know if that's really going to cut it. And from what I understand, Mendy's has been very upset with me for years because they felt they made me and I wasn't loyal.
0: Oh well, they'll have to just deal that. You 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 put him you put him on the map. But I thought it was pretty genius that when it came time back around to do the what was it the soup Nazi episode, maybe the most famous one ever that they brought you back to to kind of re- recall back to that. And you are like, hey Jerry, I didn't know you liked soup, and you try to cut in line. <laughs> was, yeah, was, well,
2: <laughs> well, you know Jerry loved the character of Benia, so he used to jam me. I think I aired on like seven or eight episodes, but I shot probably twelve or fifteen. Because Jerry loved the character. see, he would just say, hey, let's just add Banya to this. Let's see what happens. <laughs> so so the, the soup Nazi one is a perfect example of where he said, hey, let's have Banya cut in line.
0: It's so, so you know,
2: so for me, it was just Jerry loved Jerry loved the character. And, you know, back then there were no cell phones, and every time I would get cut out, because they would always shoot more than they needed, every single time I'd get cut out, he'd call me at home personally and go, oh, we had to cut it because we didn't have time. I'd be like, Jerry, just keep thinking about me. It's not a problem.
0: And that got you back on, uh, what was it, the Buttershave episode, where you, <laughs> you. Uh, I think you end up dating his girlfriend. Uh, and But exactly. didn't, didn't Jerry dump her because she used his toothbrush after he dropped it yeah. in the toilet?
2: So wait, did I you, got to tell you... you you know your Seinfeld, sir.
0: Oh, it's the—I think it's the greatest show of all time. I'm sure you would agree. But um, now the, let me
2: ask you—let me ask you a question, because you know there's different levels of fans. Like I know the show because I was on it. Sure. But I mean, there are people that know everything. If I just said to you, name the two horses. Do you know what horses I'm talking about?
0: Snoopy and Prickly Pete. <laughs> <Yeah! laughs> they are. It. it took a second. I had to. I had to read. You know, defrag the files up in my brain for a second. But I got it. I was trying to think which episode. You know what I mean? Because I, my mind first yeah. went to Rusty, but the rest, we can't breathe back here. And then I was like, oh yeah, the other horse. Oh, That's thank-. awesome. You nailed it. Um, okay, cool. Well, I guess uh, I guess just sort of in closing, you you've been great great with your time. Um, Twenty years later, you've had some time to. Let it all sink in, and uh, I'm sure your, your thoughts on certain episodes and stuff has evolved over the years. The, in hindsight, looking back, is there one episode, wh- even one that you weren't in, that still breaks you up the most?
2: Oh, uh, that's a good question. You know, there, there's two that come to my mind. One is the, uh, what was it, the contest, um, where, you know, to see who can hold out longest without uh, um, being to master their own domain, um, <laughs> and then the other... Yeah and the other one was uh, just Michael Richards as Kramer with the Merv Griffin set was just unbelievable.
0: Hey, come on down and they're like where's the camera? <laughs>
2: so yeah, oh, I mean he was just brilliant at that. So I, I think those two uh, are probably my favorite, but you know the most amazing thing about that show is, you know, years later how what a classic it is, how iconic it is. Uh, and you think, well, did you know that then? And the crazy thing about being on Seinfeld was you did know it then. Mm -hmm. You did know you were on something that was... It was like like being on I Love Lucy and knowing it was going to be I Love Lucy.
0: Do you think it's the greatest show of all time? At least comedy, sitcom? I think so. Yeah,
2: I mean, you know... For me, I think so too. And for me, uh, uh, the same way with LeBron and uh, Jordan, if you're in the conversation, you're in the conversation.
0: Well, it's, I mean, it's the greatest show of all time. And I feel like there's a whole other generation that maybe missed it. And I'm like, come on, you got to go binge this thing. It's so, it's, it's, it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. People quit and they don't even realize they do at some point. Um, Well, I
2: tell you, I do, I I headline stand up all over the country. And you'd be amazed at the youth of the people that come up to me that adore the show.
0: Oh, I think it's timeless. I think it'll be around forever. It's, it's, it's great. And so to be a Part of it, that just must feel extra special. 20 years later, sir.
2: Very lucky. I'm very lucky. All right, Steve.
0: Thank You've been generous with your time. Thank you so much. And thanks for giving us Kenny Banya. We'll love him forever.
2: My pleasure. Great chatting.
0: All right. That was gold. Finally, I spoke with John O'Hurley, who played Jay Peterman when he performed in Chicago at DC's National Theater in 2015. John, thanks for joining us on WTOP. No, good to be here. Thanks for asking. Take me back. When did you first experience Chicago? Did you did you see the on Broadway when you were younger? Did you see I the saw movie? the play
3: back in the late 70s, back when it was in its original concept, um, much more vaudevillian, very slapstick. Um, all the music was there, but it—they didn't quite—and it came out the same year that uh, that um, Chorus Line did on Broadway. So it kind of lived. And it, uh, yes, and it ca- kind of lived in the shadow of Chorus Line in the in terms of the Tonys. So it never really got the recognition. And it was a little—it was a musical ahead of its time, darkly comedic and um, about the jazz era. At the same time that Broadway was looking for you know a lot of the dancers, and and that's why Chorus Line uh, did so well. Um, Resurrected in 1995, and since then it has become, it has run every day ever since, and it's the longest-running American musical to date, uh, celebrating 18 years right now, and uh, and, and no end in sight. Uh, we have it on tour every year. I take it around to 10 or 12 cities, and uh, we're halfway through our run right now, and we're having the best time at the National Theater.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I was actually, speaking of the National Theater, I was there last night for the Sold Out uh, show. It was fantastic. Great job. Um, Thank you. You play... Uh, the lawyer character, Billy Flynn, Mm -hmm. um, who, you know, if our listeners remember the movie, that was the Richard Gere part. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you become a a part of this show?
3: Right after uh, Dancing with the Stars, the first season that I was on there, uh, right after that ended, um, I I had an opportunity to do a kind of pick and choose from a lot of different things. And I uh, thought about going to Broadway because I had always heard about Chicago, and everyone said, that's the role you should be doing, that it was kind of made for you. Well, I'd never seen it, so it didn't really... (laughs) I mean, I'd seen it, you know, early, right. early, and, and but the original concoction of the role didn't really appeal to me. I went to see the revival there on Broadway, and I said, that's the role I want to do. You know, he's an eloquent, dangerous. Now, I mean, the way they've changed the concept of the character, he's elegant, he's dangerous, he's uh, eloquent, um, and, and, and just one of the great leading men roles that has been written on Broadway. So very appealing to me. So 2005, I met with Barry Weisler, who runs the show, uh, owns the show, and uh, I sat down for drinks with him, and I said, I want to do the role. And uh, sure enough, two months later, I'm opening on Broadway in Chicago.
0: That's fantastic. Um, in terms of the show, um, just speaking to some of my favorite bits from last night, I mean, I loved how you interacted with uh, the orchestra. There's a scene where you grab the the, the conductor's wand and and uh, I have a
3: lot of little yeah a little yeah I have a lot of little things that I throw into the show. They give me a little bit of uh, leeway and fill in some moments with my own. That's my what own... I was
0: gonna ask. Is that like stuff oh, that yeah. you oh, came I... up with on your?
3: Well, yep. I came uh, yeah, every yeah every time. I have certain things that I throw in. Back in two thousand nine, uh, when Blagojevich was the uh, yeah. huge uh, problem, and he had just uh, sold the Senate, he had just sold the uh, the rights to Obama's seat in uh, Chicago. There was a line in the show when he, I said, uh, you know, if Jesus Christ had five thousand, if Jesus Christ lived in Chicago, and if he had five thousand dollars. Well, it had have himself a Senate seat, I'll tell you that. Well, it, it stopped the show, and it, it got all sorts of press. And
0: <laughs> Yeah, well, you still have the line kind of in the show, but no more Blagojevich. No more You've, you've morphed it a little bit. Um, another part I love um, is the ventriloquist number. You have Roxy Hart yep. sitting on yep. your... Sitting on
3: my lap acting as my, uh, my dummy, <laughs> and uh, I do the entire press interview uh, kind of mouthing, or she mouthing, the words that I'm... My answers to the press. So it's a, it's a brilliantly scribed number. I think one of the most innovative numbers ever done in Broadway history. I think it's just so fantastic that they came up with the concept, not only the melody, the great you know the great uh, um, arrangement of that song, all, and 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 then on top of that, Fosse doing uh, uh, the choreography to that number is just out of this world. But I think it's one of the most innovative numbers ever done on, in uh, in theater.
0: Talk about playing in front of. Um, a Washington audience, a cultured audience, um, and especially at the National Theater, how special is well, that? Well,
3: the, the National Theater is truly just, uh, just acoustically one of the best in the country, with a, with a hands down. It just, it's an alive house. The audience is literally four feet from you when you're on that stage, and it, it still has eighteen hundred people, so it's a large house, but it's intimate. Um, and, and so that sets up for that feeling of doing a play in the basement for your parents. Right. And it has that kind of intimacy to it. So that helps a lot for a show like this. Um, and, and I love bringing it to Washington because Washington has such smart people. It's smart because this show is, it, it, it is so full of so much comedic nuance right. that – it takes smart audiences to get it, to yeah. really, really enjoy yeah. the show. And as you could tell from being in the show last night, or being in the audience last night, uh, this audience really gets
0: it. People and were howling, some, howling during, Yeah, uh-huh. uh, the, um, I don't want to give anything away, but there's a, a bit with the, one of the jurors that mm-hmm. people, uh, did I see, did I catch no, you break up a little it. bit? Yeah, I brought yeah, up so.
3: I pierced the veil last night a little bit. Yeah, That's yeah. okay
0: every now and then. It's <laughs> well, like watching you, an SNL skit. When they, they lose exactly, it, sometimes it's even you know, There
3: are moments when it deserves, you know, when you spent that much time with an audience and, and. And, you're, you know, you're, they're engaged in the humor of the moment, too. It's okay to break it.
0: Were you ever tempted to break it back during the the Seinfeld days, working oh, with such gosh. comedic people? There I are just...
3: moments when I'm in the middle of my, you know, those endless Peterman monologues that would go on and on. If you watch the corner of my mouth, it wants to go up. <laughs> and I can see there are two or three episodes that I can still see. A little corner of my mouth is still you know, twitching. Our, co- there. Mm-hmm. our
0: corners were mm-hmm. going up, too. Do you remember which moments those were? Which, ep- um, which scenes? <clears throat>
3: There was the uh, when uh, it, uh, Elaine, take it from me, it's going to be rough in there, but <clears throat> and a cue uh, to, to, uh, to you, better bring a poncho. <laughs> <coughs>
0: One of my all-time favorite Peterman mm-hmm. moments was the, the backwards episode when you when you do your Apocalypse Now, your Brando, the horror.
3: The horror, the horror. Yeah, that was uh, a wonderful parody. And, and, uh, they did the lighting and everything else the same way. My favorite moment in that show is when uh, Elaine finally arrives on the scene because I'm the only poet warrior that she could find <laughs> in the neighborhood. And... Um, And I turn to the little 15 year old boy that's sitting at the entrance to the cave, and I look at him and I say, Mugala, Mugala Majaba. And he gets up and he walks out, and she turns to me and she says, Mr. Peterman, you speak Burmese? And I said, Oh, for heaven's sakes, no, Elaine. That was gibberish.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you, know, you had. I mean, you believed everything except for throwing the bananas at Dennis <clears throat> Hopper. You had the. No, the you no. had it down. Yeah. Uh, you probably knew the lines better than Brando did when he showed <laughs> up. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know,
3: his, you know, historically, Brando used to write the lines down. He never memorized a line. If yeah. you look in um, um, all of all of his films, um, he, everything was written somewhere because that's what he was doing. He was. Oh, he's always looking off camera. Okay because he's reading his lines. Really?
0: Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. You probably yeah. ask Seinfeld stuff all the time. What behind-the-scenes stuff do we, I mean, because we all have our favorite moments of on-screen Peterman, but behind-the-scenes as people working with, you know, give us a little insight into what that was like.
3: Well, you know, they were the four smartest actors I've ever worked with, mm-hmm. and that is the essence of good comedy, because you can't be a good comic actor unless you're a really smart person, because you have to understand what irony is. And not a lot of people do. Um, You know, there are people that can, uh, and and the beauty of the comedic actors on Seinfeld is that they were willing to throw themselves under a bus Mm -hmm. in order to make something funny. Julia is a great example of that. She's willing to make herself seem so infinitely unattractive to get the laugh, it, hence the dance, the pushing, the no matter what it was, you know, the, you know the, 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 somebody being sponge-worthy. She's willing to go to places where other actresses would, you know, it's like, that's not my style, but she yeah. would just, she would go down with the ship to make something funny.
0: What makes it still, I mean, it's still super relevant. We hear people in the newsroom quoting it every mm-hmm. day. I mean, more than any other show. Well, because it was about language, it was about
3: um, taking something, taking a subject, and dicing it apart down to the most minuscule moments, yeah. and then finding a few more. And then, if you took three of those particular topics, and then you made them cross at one point in the show, so that all three yeah. subplots always yeah. crossed, it, then you have this, you know, this recipe for brilliance. Now, it was about writing. I mean, if you think about it, you know, there was no action in the show. Sure. Um, Yeah, it uh, the only uh, any movement in the show really was Kramer's, you know, the making the bus stops or whatever. Yeah, but his 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 skid stops that he would do in the uh, in the middle of Jerry's uh, or the entrance into Jerry's apartment. But it was all it was all about language. I mean, you could basically everybody stood around and talked, which brings me to the point of saying that I don't know that the show would have been as funny today in the cell phone area
0: Uh, because
3: I think uh, everybody has their heads down now, Mm -hmm. you know, and and there's certain things that are on texting and what have you that are funny too, but Seinfeld was funny because people looked each other in the eye and they talked, and conversations were more important back then.
0: You couldn't go to Monk's Diner with people yes. on their cell phones, no. and totally the Kramer uh, mm-hmm. movie phone bit would not have worked because mm-hmm. people would be online. Yes. No, why don't you tell me the name of the movie? <laughs> yeah,
3: or exactly, or exactly the uh, the uh, Merv Griffin talk show, uh, you know, yeah. episode. Yes, yeah, it wouldn't have existed.
0: Certain things are of that time, but it was also ahead of its time. I mean, uh, we're not gay, not that there's anything wrong with it, or mm-hmm. festivists with religion, or the Native American episodes. That's a conversation we're still having in DC with you exactly. know mm-hmm. the Kramer episode with mm-hmm. scalping tickets. I mean, it was way ahead of its time when. A lot of social issues mm-hmm. too and i think that and, there were so, and
3: actually there's one episode that i don't know that they can show anymore it's Which pull that out of the, that, it? oh gosh one of the last uh, few episodes I, the puerto rican day episode oh yeah that's mm-hmm. the one with the mm-hmm. ribbons
0: mm-hmm. You know, or the ribbons um just final question i mean so from moving on from that i mean you're you're obviously aware of its legacy it just celebrated the big anniversary last year and had a bunch of you know screened on tbs and all that but Moving on from Seinfeld, you've done Dancing with the Stars, Family Feud, you know, now Back to Chicago and all the other stuff you work on. I mean, how do you juggle appreciating the legacy but also not being defined by it? How do you reinvent yourself? Because you've continually done it successfully.
3: Well, I just do a lot of different things. But, you know, for the most part, I kind of live by my imagination, whatever my imagination tells me to do. That little pictures in my imagination are, are what I follow. I, I've written so I've written three bestsellers on dogs. Mm-hmm. I host the National Dog Show, and that came right. really because the phone rang one day thirteen years ago from the head of NBC Sports and said, "Woof woof," <laughs> and I said, "Okay, I'm there." You know, I don't I don't try to scribe a career. Sure. I basically look over my shoulder and say, "Well, there it is. It's behind me." Let it come. To so you I, it it does. It, it's amazing how opportunity speaks, and I've always let it speak. But I also don't deny. The concept of imagination, and I let that, if, some, if, if, if the idea to write a book comes to me, I'll sit down and I'll write a book. Um, I compose, and I've got uh, several albums that are out and have all done really well on Billboard, and it's because I'll sit down and I'll go, okay, I'm going to spend six months doing this album. Um, I kind of let my uh, imagination be my guide, so I, it's the reason I have an eclectic career at best.
0: That's great. Any any hints for our listeners on what's next, or are we just focused on well, Chicago um, at the moment?
3: Well, no. I'm you know I'm going to continue with uh, till the end of the tour on uh, Seinfeld. Or excuse me on on Chicago. <laughs> yes, Jordan here said. I go. Uh, until uh, the end of March, and then um, Brian Cranston and I have a new uh, series together that we're in the middle of um, uh, preparing. Uh, it's very unusual, so I can't talk about it. It's never been done. It's before. It's a TV series. Uh, it's a TV series, and um, Brian's producing it, and I'm starring in it. And it will be, if we get it all up and running, the funniest thing I've ever done. On television,
0: without, without giving away any plot, because I definitely don't want to do that. I want it to be a surprise. How did you? How did you just come across Cranston to like? Right, i out? been.
3: Oh, Brian and I've been best friends since 1983. Oh, he was when, on the show. He was well. We were not only that. We yeah. were on. We were best friends since '83. Uh, we were on a show called "Loving" together, a soap opera back in, uh, on ABC back in the early '80s. And uh, he was my—he's been my best man at two weddings. And I fired him at that point because uh, I said, obviously, it was you, not me. And uh, I didn't know he was your best man. Uh, best man twice, actually. Yeah. No, That'd we've been—we've uh, been best friends forever, and. Uh, we own property together and vacation together, and, you know, that's it. we've been very close friends.
0: So Peterman and Watley were hanging out all Essentially set. the same person. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Hey, thanks so much for coming in. Great to be with you. Appreciate us. it. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.